All right. Good morning, everybody. How you all doing? Yeah? Cool? Yeah, I'm fine. Thank you for asking. I'm, I'm good. Um, uh, I, I think my disposition is always a little bit happier when it's a day like this. Hey, it's just, yeah, wonderful. I'm very grateful for, for spring. Can I pray for us? Father, you are good and you are worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our affection. You're worthy of our praise. Thank you, God, that you are alive, that you are interested in getting involved in our lives. Thank you that you speak. Thank you that you have something to say to us. Thank you that your words bring life. They bring freedom. They bear fruit. And so, God, I pray that as we read your scriptures this morning, that it would be like seed being sown in our hearts. And Father, I pray that you would protect that seed from distractions, from the cares of this world, from forgetfulness, from the lies of the devil, from shallowness. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would tend to the soil of our hearts and make it deep, make the soil good, so that your word can bear fruit 100-fold. We trust in you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, I'm going to press my little alarm thingy to stop me at the right time. There we go. So today I want to visit a question that I think Christians have been asking for 2,000 years. And it, it may sound very similar to the question that we've been asking for the past few Sundays. And the question is this, what does God expect of me? What does God expect of me? So ask yourself that question. What does God expect of me? And I, I want you to pay attention to the answers that sort of drift up to the conscious level. I'll give you just a moment. What does God expect of me? That is a little bit different from the question we've been asking for the last few weeks, which is, what is God calling me to? That's a personalized, hey, in my life space, that this is kind of what I think God is calling me to do next, but what is the general expectation of God for His covenant people, right? How does, how does my, what is God calling me to, fit into the general, what does God expect of all of His people? Now, if, if you've put your faith in Jesus, you follow Jesus, that question is, is really important, right? What, is, what does God want me to do? But m maybe you are here and you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've been dragged here unwillingly. Maybe you've been bribed with a good Sunday lunch. I don't know, but I'm really glad that you're here. And so perhaps the question for you would be, well, if there is a God, what does this God expect of me? That's the question I would love for you to be asking yourself. And I wonder where all of us would land with that answer. Right? The chances are good. Some of us will be here today saying, God doesn't expect me to do anything. God's done everything. It's done. It's finished. I, there's no expectation on me. The chances are good that some of us sitting here today may feel a sense of, oh, heck yes, I have to do this, or he expects this of me, and you're confident in that. The chances are really good that some of us are sitting here thinking, well, I know God wants me to do this and this, and I just can't do it. And there's perhaps even a sense of like performance anxiety. Anyone? <laughs> like, don't put your hand up, but 
you know, there's a bit of, like there's the pressure. There's the weight of like, man, I've got to, you know, and, and, and maybe, maybe that's just something that you've put on for yourself, but perhaps it's something you've heard from someone. I don't know, maybe like a, a preachy Christian guy once upon a time and, and put something on you. Or maybe it's a home group leader. I don't know what it is. Maybe you feel like, man, I, I need to be getting people saved. Like, I feel that pressure. Right? I need to get people saved. Like, don't you, don't you know that people are going to hell? Don't you love them? Like, come on. It's oh, gosh, God, I've got you know, to do that. Maybe you've had someone who's involved in, in kids' church being like, Jesus loves little children. What is wrong with you? Why would you not come and serve in kids' church like you know, where's the love of God in you? Of course you should be serving there. Or what about the orphan and the poor and the widow? You know, like God, God has a heart for them. How can you not? How can you not give away everything you have? And so, gosh, we could pick a whole bunch of things. And I wonder where you might land with this. What does God expect of me as a Christian? What does God expect of all of us as Christians? Are you comfortable with that expectation? Do you feel the pressure of that expectation? I wonder what you expect me to say in answering that question. Matt, you've done this. I know exactly what you're going to say. You're going to say, fill in the blank. Okay. My hope is for you, for all of us, to take that thought, whatever we've realized has come to the surface of our minds, and to put that on the table, right? The proverbial table, And I want to read some scripture this morning, and I want us to look at what we feel that expectation of God is, and to test that, and to maybe come at it from a different angle, bring a new light on it. Maybe you would take that expectation away entirely and say, no, yeah, I just don't think that's right. Maybe you're going to say, I think it's right, but I think I need to make a little tweak here. Or maybe you'll say, yep, my expectation has stood the test of this morning. Whatever Matt has said, I'm absolutely convinced of it. Great. But for all of us, I want us to bring that question. What does God expect of me? What does God expect of you? And let's look at Scripture this morning. Now, I'll be honest. Three weeks ago, Philip preached, and, and, and that's what it has got me going. I've been churning over this thing for three weeks now. But in fact, after that, Glenn preached as well. And, and then Richard and Jen last week, I, I think what I'm doing is actually just revisiting all of that. And so some of you might be thinking, but we've done this, where you're just repeating it. Uh, forgive me, I'm a teacher. I can't help myself. But sometimes you need to cycle over things a few times. That's the, that's, I, if I read a good book and I'm like, yo, that, okay, favorite author, Andrew Murray. I confess, Andrew Murray, I, I got the same book that when I was a varsity student, I'm reading over that book again. Because every time I go over, I'm like, how did I miss that? Just, it's got to go deeper. It takes time, right? So we've got the onion with the layers. Let's do the layers thing. And so if you're picking up, but Philip said that, or Aunt Glenn said that, but Jen and Richard, Matt, you're just repeating. Yeah, I'm repeating. I acknowledge. I acknowledge. Okay. You can see there's the teacher smiling at me over there. There we go. Okay. Right, so... Isaiah chapter 5, please. We don't have slides. I would love for you to open the app, open your Bible. If it's an app, it's really helpful because you just search the contents, click Isaiah chapter 5, right? If you've got the paper version, you might need to go to the contents page, find Isaiah, big Old Testament. Isaiah was a prophet of God in the Old Testament. 
chapter 5, and we're going to go from verse 1 through to verse 7. And as you read it, oh, hang on, we've read this. Yes, we have. Okay, here we go. Isaiah chapter 5, the title, at least in my Bible, is The Song of the Vineyard. So it's a song. I will sing for the one I love, a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut it out, cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. I'm going to stop there. From what I can gather in reading the commentators, the guys who understand the ancient Hebrew, they're saying that this is a literary masterpiece. The way that the wording of this song has been constructed makes it beautiful and easy to listen to. And so we have this prophet Isaiah who's standing up and speaking to the people of Israel, and they're drawn in by this magnificent song, right? We gather around, and he's singing about Israel. It's God's covenant chosen people. He loves them. He's got a plan for This is great. What a, an amazing song, right? So we're gathering a crowd. Verse 3, now you dwellers in Jerusalem, that's the city of God, people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. Right, so we've gone from beautiful love song, now we're in a courtroom drama, right? Anyone like reading courtroom novels or maybe movies, TV series? TV series, courtroom, okay, I don't know, law and order, right? Here we are. And so, so, we, you know, we've got this beautiful love song, but we've got lovers that feel wrong done by, like someone's done me wrong, and I want y'all to get involved here, like who's right? So we got involved in a love story, right? We all love love stories. Now it's a courtroom drama. This is good. This is good <laughs> stuff, right? We're getting stuck in here. So we've got the scene change. Verse 4, what more could have been done for my vineyard? This is God speaking. What more could have been done than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now, I'll tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I'm going to take away its hedge, and it will be destroyed. I'll break down its wall. It will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. It's just left to itself, to its own devices, and it just crumbles. I will command the clouds not to reign on it. And so, the people of God are invited in to judge in a particular situation. And God's saying, what, what more could I have done? Right? God has this business venture. What business person would invest in something expecting a return and get nothing in return? Like nothing good. And is just going to keep investing into it. Right? Is that good business advice? No, that's terrible business advice. Right? So, any decent reasonable, sane person would say, time to leave it, right? Cut your losses, walk away. Is that not reasonable? Yes, it is. And God invites His people into this judgment, and it's a trap. <laughs> because suddenly, you and I have just pronounced righteous judgment on ourselves, this is terrible. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, God's covenant people. And the people of Judah, 
of the vines he delighted in. He looked for justice. But what did he find? Anyone? Bloodshed. He looked for righteousness. What did he get? Cries of distress. Okay. Let's press pause there. Keep, keep your Bibles open there. Right, so the question is, what does God expect of me? What does God expect of His covenant people? From this passage, what's He looking for? Righteousness and justice. Good fruit. What's the good fruit He's looking for? Not wild grapes. What are the good grapes? Righteousness and justice. Verse 7. That's what He's looking for. And He found distress and He found bloodshed, but He was looking for righteousness and justice. Now, what's interesting is that Righteousness and justice going together is a very, very common theme in the Scriptures. Genesis 18 verse 19, God chose Abraham so that he may commend his children to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. 1 Kings 10 verse 9, the Queen of Sheba exclaims to King Solomon that God made him king so that he can execute righteousness and justice. Psalm 33 verse 5, God loves righteousness and justice. Psalm 89 verse 14, singing to God, righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne. The, the very bedrock, the base of the way that God governs and rules is righteousness and justice. That is the character of God. The Psalms speak of righteousness and justice over and over again. Psalm 37, 72, 94, 97, 99, 103, 106. Righteousness and justice again and again. Proverbs chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 8, 18, 21. Isaiah speaks of righteousness and justice 13 times. Jeremiah, righteousness and justice six times, Ezekiel, Hosea, Amos, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, gosh, righteousness and justice is a big deal to God. But what is righteousness and justice? What is that even? Right? I, I'm trying to think, when do I hear the word righteous outside of Bible Christian talk? Right, surfing. Okay, great. So, so, right, the surfers are like, no, dude, whatever. Okay, so the only time I can think of hearing it, right, and I've got lots of kids, and okay, granted, confession, before kids, Lindsay and I used to love watching animations anyway. That's why I knew she was the right girl for me, animations. Okay, here we go. So, Finding Nemo, right, anyone? Finding Nemo? Old, old, old Mimi. So, we've got the turtles, right? So, who, who are like the stereotypical, I'm sorry, surfers? They're just stereotypes. The stereotypes are bad, right? And so, they're, they're surfing like the Australian East Coast current, and there's this part of the current where it suddenly goes wild. And there's the, like the main turtle guy, and he's going through, and he's going, righteous, righteous. Like, that's the only time I can think of hearing anyone outside of a churchy Christian Bible context saying the word righteous. So when, when you think of righteous, what do you think of? We're probably thinking about like moral uprightness, aren't we? Right? So that do, and, and probably have a negative, oh, that guy's so righteous. What we mean is so self-righteous. Like it's not exactly positive, but what is righteousness? What is justice? Right? whole bunch of Springbok supporters yesterday were wishing for justice, weren't we? Anyone? No? 
Mr. Referee. Gosh. Right, so, yeah, preach it. Right, but what is, what is righteousness? Is it moral uprightness? Is justice about retribution? What, how is righteousness different from sanctification? How is it different from redemption? What about um, justification? You know, gosh, there's a lot of Christianese words that have very deep meaning, but we just get so used to these words. Righteousness and justice is really important to God, but what are they? Okay, so I have to rely on people who are smarter than me. Dr. Donald E. Burke puts it like this, justice referred primarily to the integrity of the legal system to settle claims and offenses in a way that would promote shalom. So shalom is God's peace or wholeness or completeness. So biblical justice is a way that would promote wholeness and completeness. He continues, it's not about a desire for revenge or dishing out retribution on the referee, no. Justice is concerned with promoting wholeness and the well-being of the community, especially the most vulnerable. Okay, so you've got to put that into your framework here. So justice is about promoting wholeness of the community especially the most vulnerable. He continues, righteousness, on the other hand, referred to the fulfilling the obligations of a relationship. Okay, track with me here. Refilling or fulfilling the obligations of a relationship. Professor Mackey puts it like this, righteousness describes someone's character that is demonstrated by how they treat other people in their relationships. So the way that I treat Richard in my relationship is a reflection of my character. Is it righteous or not? You get to see that by the way I interact with him. Or by the way I interact with my wife, or my kids, or my neighbor, or my boss, or the people that I manage, or the lady at the till, or the people who are going through my recycling bag and leaving stuff all over the road. My character is reflected by the way that I interact with them. And it's that characteristic, is it, is it righteousness or is it not? So when we say that God is righteous, it's a reflection of His character trait, His righteousness, by how He interacts with me, by how He interacts with you. And so if God disciplines you, is He doing right by you? Well, yes, He is, because He's righteous, and He's bringing you into right relationship with Him by how He disciplines you. If He just leaves you be, toughies on you. And if, if you have in your mind the picture of the God creates this world, He's got a bunch of rules, and if you break them, you're going to burn. That's not a righteous God. But if there's consequences for your actions so that you might turn to Him, that's, that's, He's doing right by you. That's righteousness. And so, God is righteous, and it is expressed 
by how he interacts with you and how he interacts with me, how he deals with me. And so justice, maybe as a summary, is making things right in an unfair society. Righteousness is doing right by people. You heard that phrase before, doing right by someone? We don't really use it so much. What is, what is the verb of righteousness? Doing righteousness. Do, do right by someone. Do right by them. There's your verb. There's your action word. How do I do this? I do right by someone. Now, it depends on what your relationship is with that person, doesn't it? That means your relationship, your, your actions to that person should be different than from how you treat someone else, depending on your relationship. I have a relationship with Lindsay. I deal with her in a different way from how I would deal with another woman in the congregation. If I treat them the same, we've got problems. I'm not doing right by them. I'm not. And I have to treat my children differently. And you get where this is going. So this is, this is interesting. Now, Lindsay and I hashed this out, and we were thinking about some examples in, in the community. So we've got Derek and Michelle working with a Mother Design, the World Needs a Father course. And so what are, they, what are they doing? Are they bringing about God's righteousness? Are they bringing the fruit that God is looking for? Well, are they helping fathers to do right by their children? Are they helping husbands to be faithful to their wives? Are they helping mothers to do right by their children, to be faithful to their husbands? Are, are they helping to restore broken relationships? Yes. There's a fruit of righteousness that comes about as a result of this. Totally different example. We've got Mick at the surf school selling surfboards. And a, a client comes and says, I want to buy this surfboard. Mick says, no, that's, that's not the right surfboard for you. That doesn't, I want it. Sorry, I have a conscience. That's not the surfboard for you. It's not going to be good for you. Why, why won't you sell it to me? Well, I have to stand before God one day. Huh? So that's a good. No, I, no. Mick is doing right by her. He's doing right to her. A reflection of righteousness in relationship with someone else. Anton, seeking to pay his staff properly, help them seek their benefits, seek their growing. He's doing right by them in caring for them. That's the righteousness being expressed in relationship with other people. Richard and Jen's story, standing up here last week, sharing something of their story and saying, hey, we were living together before we were married and convicted. That I'm not honoring Jen. I'm not doing right by Jen. So we're going to stop this. And we're going to do it God's way so that I can do right by her. There's righteousness being expressed in hard, horrible decisions, but good decisions bearing fruit, isn't it? When you express your sexuality in a way that honors God and does right by other people, there is a righteousness there. When you pay someone properly or charge them fairly or return things that are properly, and you do right by them, there's a righteousness being expressed in your relationship with them. 
and Moose working in Inspired to Become, helping underprivileged kids. So not only is he working with individual kids, showing them something of a preferred future that they could maybe live in one day, he's doing right by them. He's taking those moments to sit with individuals and say, you could do this. You don't have to be stuck here. Life could look like something else. And not only that, but I think there's also justice being showed there as well. He's promoting wholeness in a community. A fractured world broken, he's promoting wholeness. And I could be here for hours. We could pick up all the stories of people doing right by one another and promoting wholeness and healing, bringing the shalom of God. So what is God looking for? He's looking for righteousness and justice, according to Isaiah 5. And suddenly, and this is, this is my hope, this is a whole lot less churchy, right? It's a whole lot less, you need to become a life group leader. You've been sitting there for too long. No, 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 no. What are, what are your relationships like? I don't have your relationships. You have your relationships. Are you doing right by those people? Are you bringing something of God into that space? Are you promoting wholeness in a fractured community? In your space, what is God looking for? For all Christians, His covenant people, righteousness and justice. And so the question is why? It's my second question. Why is God looking for that? So first question, what's God looking for? Second, why is He looking for that? And so page one of the Bible, God creates a world. What does he say about the world? It's good. God has a good creation. Like page three of the Bible, it all goes downhill. Adam and Eve sin. Sin enters into the world, and the world is fractured. It's broken. Our relationship with God is broken. Our relationship with one another is broken. And I think that there is an argument to say my relationship with myself is pretty broken as well as a result of sin. And so God has every right to stand back and say, okay, that's what you chose. Let's see how that works out for you. And we've seen, I mean, human history. I'm fascinated by people saying, in this modern day and age, how can we still have wars happening? How is today any different from the past thousands of years? No. Come now, the human condition. And so God does right by us. He expresses His righteousness by saying, I'm going to get involved. And I want to restore a broken wor world, a fractured world, back to Himself. All of creation, all His people, restored to Himself and to one another. And so God chooses a person by the name of Abraham, makes a covenant with him, a legal contract and says through Abraham his his offspring will bless all the nations right so we've got this fractured broken world and I, I want to come in and bring something of the blessing of God to spread out through this broken fractured world and he promises Abraham a land and it was to be a good land and if the people were to be obedient to God the land would be good and if they were disobedient it'd be bad Right? The, the, the language of the vineyard. Look at all that I've done, and if, or if, if, 
if you're going to choose to do that, then I'm going to let you be. Right? I'm not going to prune you. I'm not going to tend to you. And what's going to happen? That vineyard is just going to run itself into the ground. Yeah. And so God disciplines Israel. So we have Psalm 108, this beautiful picture. God clears out this land. He takes this root from Egypt and he plants the root. Who, who's the root? Israel. He's brought them out of Egypt. He's cleared out the land and he plants Israel as this root. And this vine grows. Psalm 108 says it spreads throughout all the nations. And then the story goes bad again. And that's exactly what Isaiah is saying in chapter 5. It's just, I, I want you to be a blessing. Abraham, your offspring, your people, God's chosen covenant people, is just never produces the fruit that God's looking for. Always wild grapes. And so we come to Isaiah. This is, this is not good. Isaiah 6. God's people, Israel, will be reduced to a stump in the ground, like a vine that has been chopped down. Boom. Done. Tiny little stump in the ground. Dead. Dusty ground. Nothing. But then, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, God's future king will grow out of the stump, and from his roots he will bear fruit with righteousness. And he will judge the needy with justice. He will give decisions for the poor of the earth. Okay, so we've got God's chosen people to grow out like a vine and to bear fruit. And we're just never getting the fruit that God's looking for. And so he cuts it down. And from this little stump will come the Messiah King. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 7. The vineyard will eventually flourish as never before, filling the whole world with fruits. And so what fruit do you think that this king is going to bring? It's righteousness and justice. And so God is on a mission to renew and restore his good creation that's been broken and fractured back to himself. So how do we produce the fruits? How do we produce the fruits? I, I want us to look at verse 7 again, please. God was looking for justice, but what did it produce? What did he find? Bloodshed. Has anyone got a little number, a little footnote next to that? What does it say? The Hebrew word for justice and bloodshed sound alike. And have you got another one for, the, for righteousness? An outcry. So God was looking for righteousness and he got bloodshed. They actually sound very similar to one another. And, and same for, for, for justice and an outcry. They sound very similar to one another. And so commentators have tried to bring out the meaning of this similarity. So, so one particular um, commentator, he says, God looked for measures, right? So you would have 
measures maybe like a kilogram or 500 grams or whatever. And if you wanted to buy 500 grams of flour, I'd put my 500 gram little measure over here, and then you would get, once it's balanced out. So we've got righteous measures. And that's what God's looking for. And instead of measures, for measures he looked, but he found massacres. Right? For right, he looked for right. Do you know what he found? Riots. It sounds so similar, doesn't it? And it's this horrible, horrible, um, uh, when you go to a doctor and they tell you what's wrong with you, it's a diagnosis. It's this horrible diagnosis that God speaks to us and says, I'm looking for this, and you're trying so hard to produce it. And you're producing something that is very similar, isn't it? But it's so different. God wants right, and we say, oh, I'll produce right. No, 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 right. Yeah, right, cool, gotcha. No, oh, that's horrible. That's, the condition of the human heart is such that we cannot, and we can't even produce what we think is so similar. Oh, you're nitpicking. No, no, rioting and rights is very different. Right, massacres and measures. No, no. And so we get to John chapter 15. Oh, we've, didn't we read that? Yes, we did. Right, John chapter 15. Now we can shift from Isaiah, John chapter 15, please. I want you to get your eyes on it. John 15 verse 1. Jesus says, I am the, not just I am the vine, I am the true vine. Israel, you're, you're a vine, but I'm the true vine. Because your vine you, as a people, God's covenant people, you cannot produce this fruit that I'm looking for. Your massacres and your outcries and your bloodshed, no, no. I'm the true vine. The meaning of that is not lost on the Hebrew listeners of Jesus' day. They knew exactly what he was saying. I am the true vine. Verse 5, and I won't skip any more from verse 5. We're going to go through. I'm the vine and you all, you all, Yilla, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Where's Jesus getting this metaphor from? Where's he getting this picture language? Isaiah. What's the fruit that God was looking for in Isaiah? Righteousness and justice. So, being connected to Jesus allows us to bear righteousness, right relationship, doing right by one another, wholeness in the community. This is what we can do. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? Massacres and bloodshed, and that's what y'all are going to get. Verse 6, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. If you're feeling a sense of performance anxiety, I want to encourage you that we're not supposed to be focusing on the fruit. Who are you supposed to focus on? 
Jesus. And as you are transformed by Jesus by remaining in Him, guess what happens? It's a natural outworking. I've got to do, got to do, got to do. No, you're missing. You're missing. You've got to be with. You've got to be with. You've got to be with. And the transformation happens. And the fruit happens. Now, granted, there are times when God calls you to do something specific, time for you to do it. Absolutely. But if you're like, oh, I've got to do things, you've missed the point. Verse 9, I, I mean, read this in context of Isaiah 5. Listen to this. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Performance, pressure. No, 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 you are loved. If I could do this, God will accept. No, no, no. God's accepted. He, he loves you. He loves you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love I have told you this so that my joy may be in you. I want you to experience my joy and that your joy may be complete, full, all of it. My command is this. Oh, that's interesting. I want you to bear fruit. Here's my command. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you are my friends, if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants. Oh, guys, this is just so key. Performance anxiety. I've got, I got to do, I've got to do, I've got to do. Servant mentality. I've got to serve God. I've got to serve God. I've got to, no, no, you've got to friend God. <laughs> There's a verb. You must friend Him. <laughs> right? go, go friendship. But friendship with God. I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you because I'm not smart enough. He chose me, chose you, and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love one another. Okay, let's pull these together here. We are to produce the fruits of righteousness and justice. I can't do it. You are connected with Jesus. I'm his friend. What? I'm his friend. He's commanded me to love him, love others, and guess what? I'm producing the fruit of righteousness and justice. Because I love Michiel because I love God and he loves me. And I'm going to do right by him because of my connection to God. I, this is not a performance thing anymore. I've got to do right by Michiel. I've got to do right by him. I've got to fix things. I've got to make things hot. But because I'm connected with God, I have the ability to do right by Michiel. Yeah. So when Michiel is a punk to me, I can't just say, be off with you. I actually have to sort this out. Why? Because I'm connected to the vine who bears fruits of righteousness and justice. And that must come out through me to the world. I, I, don't, I don't know about you. I, when I've read John 15, I'm like, cool, got to bear fruit, got to obey, got to do the things. But righteousness and justice is a relation. Those are relational words. And suddenly, loving God, connected to Him, loving others, I'm bearing the fruit that He's looking for. 
It's amazing how God is interested in community. And it's not just the liberty community. Where do you spend most of your time? Is that not what God is interested in more? Right? So be together, be strengthened, and then go out. Right? Is that not what Glenn called us to? Come, we be together, and then, and then go out. And bring righteousness and justice, the outworking of your connection to God. So, what does God expect of you? What does God expect of me? Does He expect you to be the life group leader? Does He expect you to be the whatever it is that you were thinking? Or does He expect you in your place, in your relationships, in your environment where there's people to bring something of Him? Yeah. That was a rhetorical question. I'm sorry, I led you there. <laughs> if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're sitting here this morning. I want to, this is an invitation from Jesus to be connected to Him. And maybe you're tired of the results of the choices that you've made in life. It's not getting you to the place you want to be, and you know it. And Jesus invites you to accept His death and resurrection on your behalf. He died for you and rose to life so that you might have His resurrection life. And we, you can receive that life free of charge. You don't have to do something. This is not performance. This is not servanthood. This is friendship. Be in right relationship with God. I want to invite you to do that. Just where you're sitting, it's available to you. Maybe you're, you have some friends in mind that you're like, man, I just want them to hear this message. You can be that message. You can be that message. And I, and I want to I say this. If you have friends that you're like, man, I just want them to meet Jesus, you don't have to bring them here on a Sunday to do that. You can do that with them. You can do that with them and introduce them to Jesus. Pray with them. By all means, bring them on a Sunday. Awesome. Invite them, yes, but you don't have to wait for a Sunday. So what does God expect of you? Why does God expect this, and how can you do this? I hope I've brought some clarity to those questions. It might require some cycling around again. Right? Go take Isaiah 5, go take John 15, and be like, should I, can I read those together? You know, and there's no ways I've hit all of this. There's no ways. You're going to say, oh, but don't forget, Matt, add this, add, you are correct. But what I want you to do is, there was the table, and you put the, what does God expect of me, on the table, and I want you to take Isaiah 5, I want you to take John 14, and, and say, okay, God, what do we do with this? And it is my greatest hope that for those of you who felt the pressure of performance, and I've produced the fruit got to do it. Man, I hope that you feel the sense of God's like encouraging mission. Be like, my son, my daughter, my brew, however you, this, this is where I've put you. This is where I've put you. This is where you find yourself. Go bear it. Go, go produce the fruit. Go produce the fruit. And remember, it has to be in connection with Jesus. This is not the Rotary Club. This is not, you know, just 
going to be a good society and I'm going to do right by people. That's, it's great. Do right by people. But it's not enough if you are not rooted into Jesus. This has to find its place in the gospel. Otherwise, Jesus died and rose again for nothing. But he enables us and he's on a mission to restore all things to himself. And he includes us in surprising ways. And I, I, I want you to feel free. I want you to feel released to go and be that. Not in the stereotypical way, in you way. Father, I thank you that you've included us and you've called us friends. And I pray, God, if there is anything that I've spoken that is not true, God, please, may we forget it. But if there is something here from your heart, God, I pray that that seed would go deep into our hearts and that it would bear much fruit, a hundredfold. God, may this be to your glory. May people see that we love you and not go, wow, that person's amazing. But they would say, wow, that God is amazing. I want to know that God. God, help us to be your people. Help us to bear fruit for your glory and the good of the world around us. Help us to be on your mission. Guide us, lead us this week, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.